Well, amen. I uh, told first service that I wasn't laughing at Chris. I was laughing with Chris because I remember uh, that time. I remember those years when you go into church and the walls, the words ring off the wall. Uh, you go to a staff meeting and you look in a mirror because you're the staff. <laughs> And, uh, and so it's kind of a little bit different, you know. Next week, we're going to be uh, sending Chris off. How exciting it is to, to see a man uh, surrender and follow. And, uh, and next week, we'll send him off right. Well, I'm glad you're here. I tell you what, I, I was, I've been preaching parables, and next week, we'll get back to that. But I want to kind of, because of the nature of today, maybe take a little bit different turn. I, I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible and go with me to Philippians chapter 3, okay? Philippians chapter 3, I'm not going to be long, if you can believe it, uh, but I thought I might share some things kind of uh, following after Chris and what Chris had shared, okay? You know, gang, the fact of the matter is that the, the call of God and the response of faith can, in one hand, be very exciting, and it is, and it should be. On the other hand, it can be somewhat challenging, and it is, and I think it should be as well. When God calls, you, you have to make a decision, and, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. You have to make a decision on whether you're going to follow or not. And I can tell you, I, I know that in my life, that when God has led us to different stages of our life and ministry, not just ministry life, family life, husband-wife things, and kid things, you know. There, there is an excitement because, first of all, what you know is that God is doing something. God's at work. The Holy Spirit is, is greasing some wheels, and maybe the gears are beginning to turn a little bit. So in one breath, you know God is doing something, and there's some excitement in that, okay? But then reality kind of sits in. And on one hand, while there's so much excitement, there's also some elements of fear because you're just not sure how it's going to shake out. You're not sure if it's going to connect very well. And you're not really sure what the next 6, 9, 12 months is all about. Okay, It's kind of like this. God says this. And then you say that. And God says, this. And you say, that. And between the this of God and the that of man, somewhere in between there, you get some kind of plan together. Now, the reason I think that there's some fear is not just because you're not sure what tomorrow's going to bring, okay? But if you're honest, and if you're willing to look into the mirror, one of the things you have to deal with is your own inadequacies. You have to be honest that there's some weakness in my life. There's some inability in my life. I don't really have my act together. And the fact of the matter, gang, is that's okay because that's truthful. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 
deals with it. He's not a, a young guy any longer. In fact, he's in prison. And while he has a sense that he's going to get out, and we know that he does get out, he doesn't really have assurance of that. Okay? There's a sense that he hopes, but he's in this prison, and while he has some freedom there, he's not sure he's going to get out to preach. He's not sure that he's going to be able to get out and, and run to a church and, and put his arms around people and have people put their arms around him. And so he gives us some words to help us. Now, some of the things I'm going to be saying will uh, connect to Chris because his world's about to change, okay? And perhaps Neely because her, her world's about to change. But again, what I hope the Spirit will do today will also maybe challenge you and comfort you a little bit because I want to tell you, if there's one thing constant in life is that life changes. Amen? Your hair doesn't say black, guys. It turns gray or turns loose, right? Kids get out of the nursery and they begin to grow. And then ultimately they become teenagers. And then, like we did last week, what, we had 25, Mark, 20, 15 seniors? Whatever we had, a good number of good-looking kids. At least the girls were good-looking, you know, all across here. And what do they do? They, they out into the world, out of the, outside the watchful eye of mom and dad, other than to call from time to time and say, I need money, right? What is that? That's change. And so while Chris's life is going to change, in fact, our life here will change some, your life is in constant motion. That's because I believe God is a God of dynamics. He's not a static God. God's always doing things. God's intimately involved in your life. He's not a passive watcher. He doesn't sit back and just get it going and back off. There's some today that think that God just gets it going and God backs off and kind of peers down and watches you. Try to somehow manage. God doesn't do that, gang. I want to tell you, praise God. He's transcendent, that he's above others, everything. But he's imminently involved in your life. He has your hairs on your head numbered. He cares what's going on. And he knows you're not there. He knows you haven't arrived. He knows you don't have your act together fully. And so in Philippians, that's what... I think that's what Philippians is all about. But beginning, let's say verse 12, 13, and 14. I want to concentrate on 13 and 14 for just a moment. But this section's beautiful, okay? Would you stand in honor of God's Word? And let me just kind of quickly share what I saw in this and as, as I knew that Chris would be, be leaving us. Okay, now look at verse 12. He said, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, Okay? Now, let me just tell you, uh, the word perfect means complete, okay? I don't want you to get this idea of sinless perfection that we get to the point where you never sin, all right? I know you think I'm dangerously close to that, right? Just call my wife, all right? What he's saying is I'm not complete yet. Now, he's walked with God a long time, the greatest Christian that's ever lived. And he says, I don't have it yet, but... I'm pressing on, so that I may lay hold of for that which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Christ got me, now I want to get it from him as well. 
And then 13 and 14, where I want to stay for a few moments. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I, this is the second time he uses the word press, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Father, help us these next few moments to get our head around an incredible few verses. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks. Be seated. Now, did you notice in verse 12, Paul says, I, I'm not there yet, uh, but it's, I'm in process. So there's something going on. The wheels are turning. The gears are being oiled. And, and, and then uh, he gives us some wonderful principles. Principle number one is this, that there's a decision that we all must make. Paul says, this one thing I do. Now, what is this one thing? What is this singular purpose that Paul is talking about? And now, gang, I want you to listen to me for just a moment. It is that he wanted to be God-honoring in his life. He wanted to live Christ-like for God's glory. In chapter 1, he prayed that he might be pure, that he might be blameless in the day of Christ. I want you to realize there's a lot of things vying for your attention today. And there's a lot of good things vying for your attention. And there's a lot of good things that is not only vying for your attention, but needs your attention, okay? Listen, if you're married, your spouse needs your attention. If you're a parent, your children need your attention. If you have a job, your job needs your attention. You have a boss that you have to answer to who has a boss that he or she must answer to. There's a lot of things vying for your attention today. But I want to submit to you, priority number one, regardless of all those important things that you have to be involved in, priority number one must be the one thing, and that is that God must be glorified in your life. He must be priority number one. Now listen, if God's not priority number one, then all those other things that's vying for your attention all those other things that are important in your life, all of those are going to take a hit. Because if God's first, everything else will follow in a priority scheme. If he's not, then you're going to be blown and pressured by so many different things that it's hard to remember who's really on first and who's on second, okay? So whether it's a job, whether it's a family, Whatever it may be, whether it's a, a new church that you're going to, to minister to or, or whatever it may be, as long as what you do, you do for the glory of God alone, then it'll work. You know, the Bible gives us precepts, commandments, directions, and all of those that we get in the Old Testament and the New Testament are directed so that we might get our head on straight, and that is that God will be glorified in all things. I, um, 
I was getting ready to, to leave this week, and, and I got a knock. A knock came to the door, and this guy came in, and he said, um, I want to see the man in charge. And that scared me a little bit because I thought, oh, gee, what have we done now, you know? And I said, well, I started giving Chris because he's leaving anyway, you know, what damage more can do. But I, I, I said, well, I guess maybe I, you know, me. And he said, well, can I talk with you? And I said, well, yeah, man. So we went back in, in my office. He's from a church on the other side of Hot Springs. He's just a member of a church on the other side of Hot Springs. And we began to talk, and he began to weep. And the church is absolutely falling apart. Gang, do you realize today how many churches are falling apart? I mean, yeah. I mean, guys, are you, are you aware of what's going on in our country today? Do you? And this guy just began to weep and began to tell me some of the things going on in their church and the problems. They built the building, you know, and, and that's caused so many problems. I had a preacher one time say you can't, a church can't build an outhouse without having problems, you know. Well, the, that was a problem, and, and people, and, and it just is just shaking out, falling apart. And, and I said, well, let me ask you a question. What is your church about? What is your church about? Whose glory is it? And he stopped for a moment, and he said, it's about the glory of the preacher. And it just floored me. And just scared me. And I said, then I want you to know you guys have a major problem. It has to be, it must be about the glory of God. And dear people, whether it's a church in a church setting, whether it's a family in a family setting, there's a decision that you have to make. There's a decision that I have to make. There's a decision that Chris is going to have to make. Who's it really about anyway? And I want to submit to you, if it's about the glory of God, if that's the decision that is rendered, then you will survive, the church will survive, and God would be pleased to respond. There's always, and Paul, Paul talks about there's a decision we have to make, okay? Second thing he talks about, if you look there with me, not just a decision, but there's a direction that has to take. Look at verse 13. I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it, but here's the one thing I do, and then he, and here's the direction. Forgetting what lies behind, I reach forward to what lies ahead. Uh, do you catch that? Paul is not really dealing so much on the past or the future. He's kind of talking about the present. And he says, I want to live in the present, and I'm not going to let the past hinder me, and I'm not going to let the future scare me. Gang, I want to submit to you, that's very important today. It's important in your life. I know so many Christians who live their life dragging behind them a ball and a chain of all the past mistakes, all the past sins, all the past problems they've ever had in their life. And I want to tell you, you can't live that way. You're not going to have victory that way. Paul had some blunders in his life, did he not? There were some things in the past I'm sure that he wished he had never done. Is there some things in your life that you wish you had never done? Some things you wish you had never said? Why don't you stand up and tell us, okay? No, we can't do that. 
I could, I, if I showed you a video, you'd fire me and hire Chris, you know. And Paul says, listen, that stuff in the past, I'm not going to let it hinder me. It's covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gang, listen to me. So many Christians tear, carry around so much of the past that's buried under the blood of Calvary that'll never be recalled, buried in the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, have their sins been separated from me. Gang, you can't live in the past. Let it go where Jesus took care of it. That's on the cross. Now, in the same breath, there's some past successes that you might look back on. And I want to tell you, past blunders will create burdens. Past successes can create pride. If anybody had a reason to boast, Paul said, in fact, he says, you want to boast? Hey, talk to me. I was one of the best Jews that ever lived. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, I was the man, you see. But it was all trash. Actually, it was all dung is what he said, you know. So the past mistakes can be an incredible burden that's covered by blood. Past successes can be a hindrance of pride, which is sin, okay? So he talks about the past. And I want to say to you, forget the past. I mean, if you could somehow in your mind on this Memorial Day lock into your brain what happened yesterday is gone. It'll never be recalled. Now, today is the day to live for Jesus, okay? Now, on the same hand, he said, I'm moving, reaching for the fall forward, but he doesn't know what the future holds. He's not letting it hinder him. It's not going to scare him. The reason he does it because he knows God's got it in his hands. In this world in which we, aren't you glad to know that there's a prime mover? Aren't you glad to know what old preacher said? Aren't you glad to know there's a great high potentate? I am. I'm glad to know that God's in control, and I'm not. Because he's got, Paul was in God's hand. The, the future was in God's hand, and Paul's in God's hand. I tell you, Paul says, I'm okay with that. And so I think we should be okay with that as well. So here's where Paul is at with this. Okay, now remember, he's in prison. So kind of here's what he's saying to us. I've made a decision to move forward for God's glory alone, with singleness of heart. And as I do, the past doesn't hinder me. The future does not scare me. Verse 14, he says, I press on. My movement is forward. His singular goal was to be a Christ follower and not get sidetracked from that, okay? And then there's a third thing that I think is very important because... If we make a decision that, that God is going to be priority one in my life or God's going to be priority one in my family, God's going to be priority one in my spiritual life, God's going to be priority one in the church where I attend, then the fact of the matter is we're going to take some hits along the way. Uh, young people, do you know that there's a lot of people out there that really don't like God? Hmm? You're going to find that out. You know what else you're going to find out? I don't do that. I like God. They don't like God's people. They don't like God's teenagers. They don't like young people 
that are willing to stand up and say, I love God, I follow after God, I've surrendered my life to God. So we have to know that there's going to be some ultimate conclusion. There's some ultimate to it all. And Paul deals with that. Verse 14, he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me paint the picture for you. It's a, it's a very graphic picture, okay? It's a picture of a, of a runner. And the runner in, in those games back those days, of Corinthian games and, and all of that, they, they would run these marathons, and they would give everything they've got. Man, they would, they would agonize for the victory. They'd strain every muscle. I mean, they would do everything because they knew at some point the race would end and there'd be some kind of a, of a, of a ceremony, okay? How many, of you guys, uh, how many of you guys are runners or used to be, okay? How many of you like just sit around and eat cheeseburgers? That's what I, okay, we're cheeseburgers, okay? <laughs> well, um, uh, let me, I, I like to ride a bike. I know you can't really tell it. I'm a biker, you know. Uh, one of the things that, that I've learned about riding a bicycle, it, Nick rides, I, I have to lead Nick. He has to follow behind me all the time, right, flat belly? And uh, one of the things that we do in riding a bicycle is you can't look beside you, you can't look behind you. If you do, you waste precious time and you waste precious energy. A runner, when they would run in these races, and the boy, they'd, boys, take off the gate, what did they do? They focused on what was ahead. If they had kept looking around or kept looking behind, all of their energy would be zapped away and, and their focus would be lost. They were zeroed in on the goal at hand because they knew at some point, some point it would be over. And at some point, there would be a little beck to them. Hey, you, come on up. And the whole idea was that in these games, when the race was over, they would have a bema, okay? It's a platform where there would be kind of like a judge on it. And when the race was over, they would, the winners would be beckoned on up, and they'd receive a crown, okay? Now, the crown they got was not a diadem, but it was what's called a stephanos. It was a crown that was made out of uh, uh, greenery, um, Sorry to say poison ivy, but that wouldn't be good. But you know what I'm talking about, that kind of stuff, okay? And it would be given to them not because they were kings, but because they ran and run the race, okay? Listen, the way Paul writes this, and in several other of his writings, he's wanting, to know, wanting us to know that the race is the Christian goal. We are all running our own race, and the race is not competing against other people. When I'm riding a bike, Nick runs off and leaves me. He's not going to let me win. And, and, but it's, the Christian race is not that at all. The Christian race is not against people. By the way, the Christian race is not Indian Springs as opposed to Pleasant Grove Baptist Church. The Christian race, the church race, is not us against Geyer Springs or us against... First Southern, it's not that at all. The race is us against the glory of God, how we give glory to God, how we do what we're supposed to, how we maximize His glory in the church. And for you personally, 
It's for how you glorify him in your life, whether that's as a mommy or a daddy or an employee or an employer or whether a student, whatever it is. So all of us have a race, and all of us are to win our race. That's the idea. Paul is saying there's coming a point for him pretty quickly when my race is going to be over. And when my race is over, I'm going to stand on before the king. And I want him to say, hey, Paul, Paul, hey, you, Paul, Paul, come on up, Paul. I got something for you, dude. I don't think Jesus says dude, but I got something for you. I got a crown for you, man. Paul, I've been, I've been watching your life. Paul, I've watched every time you went to one of those towns when there was filled with God-haters. And you went out to try to find a little body of believers and you witnessed the, and shared the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus and you bounded up some brothers and sisters together and they came at you and they stoned you and they whipped you and they left you for dead and they throw I've been watching you, Paul. Paul, Paul, come on up, Paul. You did it right, Paul. Come on up. Get your crown, man. And I want you to know, dear sister, and I want you to know, dear brother, as hard as it is at times to live the Christian life, as hard as it is sometimes to, to navigate through some of the challenges that come into your life, as hard as it is to say, I'm a believer in Jesus, when everybody around you is ridiculing the thought, and making fun of you, and disregarding you. God sees the stand. God knows how you live. And there'll come a day. Jonathan, there'll come a day, bro. Ryan, Dustin, Leanne, Walter, Dina, Wayne, Tina, Steve, your renegade. Oh, there'll come a day, dear people. Indian Springs, listen, church. There'll come a day. Pleasant Grove, listen out there. There'll come a day. He says, come on up. And I want to submit to you, everything you go through on this side will be worth it on that side. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.